The following message was given at Emanuel Baptist Church, Coconut Creek, Florida. It's good to be back, to being away for a while. And um, this morning, some of you, most of you know, we've had our uh, youth conference. I think we counted that this was the 10th youth conference that we've had. And uh, so our kids, it went, it went very well. I was able to at least be there a little bit and uh, really appreciate all of the hard work that our youth council uh, did for this year's conference to be a success. And we're very happy again that this year we were able to have Ben Carlson with us. Uh, he was our speaker for the youth conference last year, so some of you will remember him. And uh, he's going to be taking the adult Sunday school class this morning. And he'll also be um, preaching for us in the morning worship and in the evening worship. Just to kind of give you a, a very brief reintroduction to him. For some of you who do not know him, Pastor Carlson uh, is one of the pastors at Grace Reformed Baptist Church in Owensboro, Kentucky. He's been one of the pastors there since 2017. And you may remember we had Pastor Dr. Sam Waldron here for our, was it our men's conference or ladies' conference? He was here for our ladies' conference. Yes, yeah, so, so Pastor Ben is there uh, laboring with Dr. Waldron, the same church where, where he is a pastor. And he's been married to his lovely wife, Allie, who is over here. And they have uh, five children. Are all the ch- I guess all the children are with you, is correct? Some are in Sunday school this morning, but they're all here to uh, be worshiping with us today. And so uh, Pastor Carlson will come. He, he, in his bio, he notes here that he enjoys playing with his kids, coaching. Now, this, is, this guy is amazing because he enjoys doing yard work. So. <laughs> and uh, Friday, family nights. So, Pastor Ben, you come and take it from here. I'll lead us in prayer. Let me lead us in prayer. Yeah. Our Father, we thank you today for this beautiful Lord's Day. We thank you for your preserving grace, keeping us uh, while we have been apart from one another. And it is with great joy and delight that we gather with your people today. And we thank you so much for Christ, for the redemption from our wretchedness and sin that we have received through him. We thank you also that in him and through him we are united to one another, to your church to the people of God. So we pray that you would continue to pardon our iniquities for Christ's sake and have mercy upon us. And we pray that you would draw near to us by the presence and power of your spirit. We pray especially that you would help Pastor Carlson as he stands before us to open up the scriptures to us. May you fill him with your spirit and grant to us that we would receive your word with readiness of mind, with humility, and with obedient hearts. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to send a warm greetings to you all from Owensboro, Kentucky. Uh, Pastor Sam was here maybe several months ago, and uh, I'm delighted to be back here uh, again. Really thankful and grateful for the opportunity to be the speaker at the youth conference this year and also be able to minister the word of God to you all today. Well, for Sunday school, um, we may be looking at a subject that you haven't thought a lot about. You can see it there on the projector screen, but uh, we're going to talk about clouds today. 
Um, you may be thinking to yourself, clouds, really? Is that worthy of a, of, a, of a Bible class, of a Sunday school? And I think it is. The Bible has a lot to say about clouds. Of course, they're as normal as the ground is beneath our feet. We may not think about them much. <clears throat> we may think about them a lot. Sometimes they cause us to stop and stare at them. Sometimes they make us feel down. Sometimes they cause us run to, uh, to run for cover. <laughs> uh, they terrorize us when we see how big and thick and full of rain they are. Sometimes they go completely unnoticed as we go about our day, but no matter how they affect us, clouds are always floating over our heads all the time. <clears throat> Let me go through this. Maybe some of you have been familiar with a picture like this. You might find it in your science textbooks. I'm not even going to try to uh, pronounce some of the names of those clouds, but we see those sort of clouds all the time. But what's so special about clouds? And again, why spend an entire Sunday school lesson learning about them? Well, it's because the Bible has a lot to say about clouds. In general, the Bible teaches us that clouds are an important part of creation as they are meant to do good to us. Psalm 147 verse 8 says, He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. This is part of God's good creation um, for the purpose of watering crops and causing grass to grow and feeding our, our stomachs. All this stuff comes about through clouds. And clouds certainly declare God's glory to us. Psalm 119 verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above, which would include the clouds, proclaims his handiwork. But the Bible also teaches us that clouds play a big part in God's plan of redemption. Not just as we look at God's creation in general, but when we specifically look at how God has planned to save and redeem sinners, clouds play a vital role in this great and glorious purpose of God. Um, a man named Nick Batzig says this about clouds. Surprisingly, the scriptures have much to teach by way of illustration or illusion about the symbolic and redemptive historical significance of clouds. So maybe you haven't thought about clouds in that sort of way, but um, in this Sunday school lesson... I would like all of us to have our heads in the clouds for just a little while. It's okay to have your heads in the clouds during the Sunday school hour because I think we can learn some really important and vital things that God has to say to us in his word. So I want us in, this, uh, in our time together to consider how God uses clouds both literally and figuratively to teach us about his saving purposes in this world. And I want us to learn some valuable lessons about clouds so that when we look at them in the sky, we will not only see them filled with rain, but we will also see them filled with glorious gospel hope. 
So may this lesson help us never look at clouds the same way again. So here's my outline. I want us to look at clouds under four main headings. The first is God sets his faithfulness in the clouds after the flood. Secondly, God manifests his presence in the clouds among the Israelites. Thirdly, God sends his son on the clouds in the end times. And then fourth and finally, God points us to the clouds to teach us about himself and his word. Let me... Sorry, at my, at my home church, we are able to kind of connect my computer with the PowerPoint. Uh, so let me just fast forward. So here's our, here's our four points I'd like us to look at this morning. So first, God sets his faithfulness in the clouds after the flood. The first place in the Bible where clouds take on redemptive significance in human history is in the flood narrative. After God sent the worldwide flood in judgment upon the wicked, he of course created the rainbow. And the rainbow was created to be this perpetual token and sign of God's covenant faithfulness to Noah and to all creation. Well, where did he place the rainbow. Well, he placed the rainbow in the clouds. Genesis nine thirteen through 16 tells us this very clearly. And of course, we can see it uh, almost every time after it rains. But uh, God says this in Genesis 9. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. So God set the bow in the clouds. Why did he set the bow specifically in the clouds? Have you ever thought about that? Well, maybe we could just simply explain it from a scientific perspective. We know uh, scientifically that sunlight, uh, when it passes through water droplets that are filling the cloudy sky... Uh, After a rainstorm, the light then splits into a rainbow of colors. So it makes sense scientifically that there's the bow in the sky and specifically in the clouds. Or we could explain it from a pragmatic perspective. When God sets the bow in the clouds, of course, everyone has a very clear view of that bow when it's set high up there in the sky. But I think there's an even deeper and more theological reason why God put the bow specifically in the clouds. I think we can explain it from a theological perspective. In the Bible, when you look at clouds and you look at God's relationship with clouds, clouds kind of take on a symbolic uh, meaning as the place where God's rule is established over the earth Where God's sovereignty is, we could say that's symbolically where the throne of God is set over the earth. It's in the clouds. For instance, listen to some of these passages. Deuteronomy 33, 26. 
There is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to your help and the clouds in his majesty. Psalm 18.9, he parted the heavens and came down a dark cloud beneath his feet. Or Psalm 104 verse 3, he makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. And Nahum 1.3, his way is in whirlwind and storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Right, so, so at least figuratively, the Bible depicts God riding on the clouds. His feet are in the clouds. His throne is on the clouds. He comes to earth on the clouds. I think it's telling us this is the place of his rule and his reign. And so because of this, I think God put the rainbow in the clouds, in this cloudy place, because it represents his exalted and majestic throne over all the earth. And therefore, he puts the bow specifically in the clouds to show us this great sign of his faithfulness for all the new world to see, right? From the place of his exalted reign, this is where he puts the rainbow, meaning that he is going to be faithful to the promise that he made to Noah and all of creation, to sustain creation, to keep creation going, and ultimately to send the Redeemer into the world, that God was not going to destroy the world completely. He would uphold the world until that glorious promise of Genesis 3.15 would come about. He would send that skull-crushing seed of the woman into the world, reverse the curse, bring in everlasting blessedness. That's what the rainbow represents. So God puts it in the clouds to show us that he will fulfill this promise. He is sovereign over all. He reigns in the clouds. He will bring this promise to bear one day. So, pretty significant, right? There's something really important about God putting the bow in the clouds. So that's the first time we really see clouds taking on uh, redemptive significance in the Bible. All right. But secondly, we see how God manifests his presence in the clouds among the Israelites. The second place where clouds play a redemptive role in human history is with the nation of Israel. Among his old covenant people, God manifests himself in extraordinary ways in specially created clouds. These clouds are theophanies which display the powerful and glorious and gracious presence of God. And they're seen in three distinct ways in the nation of Israel. I've pictured them for you up there. The first at Mount Sinai, secondly in the wilderness, and then third in the tabernacle and temple. So let's just consider those three places where God reveals himself in clouds. First is the thick cloud on Mount Sinai. When the Lord gloriously appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai and gave him the law, he did so by means of a thick cloud. Thick cloud covered that entire mountain. Here's just one place, Exodus 24, 15 through 16. Then Moses went up on the mountain 
and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. So you have the thick cloud on Mount Sinai, but secondly, you have the pillar of cloud in the wilderness. When the Lord brought the Israelites out of the land of Egypt during the Exodus account, and when he led them through the wilderness for 40 years, we are told that he did so by means of the pillar of cloud. A pillar of fire by night, but by day it was a pillar of cloud. This special cloud shielded them from the hot sun, protected them from their violent enemies, and guided them through the promised land. There's one such place that speaks of this. Nehemiah 9 verse 12. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. So it protected them from their enemies. Remember as they, were, uh, they got to the Red Sea, they couldn't cross it initially. Pharaoh and the Egyptian army were, were coming fast and hard at them. And God put this glorious pillar of fire and cloud between the Israelites and the Egyptians. Protected them from their enemies. And then, of course, all throughout the wilderness wanderings, there was that pillar of cloud that led them. Right Every time it, it, it went to another place and in a different direction, they would pick up their gatherings and things and follow it. But God was leading and guiding his people by way and by means of a cloud. But the third significant place where we see clouds in the nation of Israel is in the tabernacle and the temple. God dwelt with his people in a special way in the tabernacle and then later on in the temple by means of the glory cloud. Or sometimes it's called the Shekinah glory. The special dwelling place of God was the tabernacle and the temple and he manifested himself he revealed himself in a very special way and it was by means of this big giant glory cloud so for instance we're we're told this about the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40 verses 34 through 35 then the cloud covered the tent of meeting or the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the clouds settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And then later on concerning the temple, we're told this in 1 Kings 8, 10, and 11. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Again, just very significant that God is revealing himself in a very unique, special, powerful way among the nation of Israel by means of clouds. On Mount Sinai, throughout the wilderness wanderings, in the tabernacle and the temple. But thirdly, let's consider how God sends his son on the clouds in the end times. As you read through the Old Testament, you'll come across some prophecies 
which tell us that the Lord will visit the earth one day on a cloud. He'll visit the earth on a cloudy day. On this day, the Lord will come to his enemies riding on the storm clouds of wrath and judgment. Listen to what Zephaniah 1, 14 through 15 says. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. So when it comes to God's enemies, God is coming on a stormy day, a cloudy day to bring his wrath and judgment to bear upon them. A very awful day for those who are outside of Jesus Christ. But the Old Testament also tells us that God will be coming on the clouds to save those who are looking to him and trusting in him. That it won't be a stormy day of wrath and judgment for God's people but God will be riding on the clouds to save them. Clouds full of blessing, clouds full of salvation. For instance, it tells us that the shepherd of the sheep will rescue his sheep from the storm clouds of judgment. Ezekiel 34, 11 through 12 says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. So he's he's coming on a day of clouds and thick darkness to judge his enemies, but he's coming as the shepherd to rescue his people on that same day. We're also told the branch will create a cloud of protection over his people. Isaiah 4 says this, In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. Then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke in the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. The great prophecy of the, of the branch of the Lord, the, the offspring of David, the great king of kings is going to come and create this cloud over his people to protect them and to save them. But we're also told that the son of man will come on the clouds to rule over his people. Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14 says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So again, there's just these prophecies that that the Lord himself will come. He'll come as the shepherd. He'll come as the branch. He'll come as the son of man. 
riding on the clouds of heaven to not only judge his enemies, but also to save his people. So this is what the Old Testament proclaims to us. But what does the New Testament have to say about all this? Is there a kind of this uh, significance of clouds seen in the New Testament? And I would say absolutely there is. The New Testament tells us that this end times cloudy day has dawned in the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, Jesus is identified as the Good Shepherd, He's identified as the branch of David, He is identified as the Son of Man one of his favorite titles that he calls himself. And he's identified as the Lord, as, as Yahweh, come in human flesh. But he comes on the clouds to bring God's faithfulness to this earth and to reveal God's glorious presence to all the inhabitants of this earth. So just think about the life of our Savior And maybe you can begin to think about how clouds and the Lord Jesus Christ are connected. There's a lot of interesting places where you see Jesus and you see clouds come together in the same passage. The first one is Christ's transfiguration. Remember Jesus took three of his disciples up on this special mountain. He took Peter and James and John on this high mountain. And there he revealed his glory to them. Remember Moses and Elijah comes down. It's it's an awesome scene. But there he's transfigured before them. But we are told in that passage that a bright cloud suddenly appeared. Matthew 17.5 says this. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. So a bright cloud comes. We could probably call it a a theophany. God, specifically God the Father, is revealing Himself in a special way, and He speaks out of that cloud, and all, all signs point to the Lord Jesus Christ as the beloved Son of God, as the only begotten Son of God, as the Savior and Redeemer of sinners. But this came by means of this special cloud. Uh, Peter calls it in 2 Peter 1, the majestic glory. But this special cloud, I think, signals to, to us, signaled to the disciples that Jesus was the new and true temple of God. It was like that great glory cloud or the Shekinah glory coming upon the Lord Jesus Christ saying that he's the new temple, he's the true temple where God's glory fully dwells. So we see it at Christ's transfiguration. But secondly, we see a cloud connected to the ascension of Jesus Christ to heaven. The ending of the Gospel of Luke tells us about the ascension of Christ to heaven. We're told this in Luke 24, 51. While he blessed them, speaking about the Lord Jesus blessing his disciples, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. 
Well, if you just read that, we're not exactly sure how he goes from earth to heaven. Uh, Luke is not explicit about some sort of cloud there in the gospel, but he is explicit about a cloud carrying the Lord Jesus to heaven in the book of Acts. He says that this all came about by a cloud. Acts 1 verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they, the disciples, were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Right, so he's carried up into heaven. How is he carried up into heaven? Luke tells us in the book of Acts, a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, this was no ordinary rain cloud. This was a special cloud. Yeah, I think this was a sort of cloud that surrounded Jesus at his transfiguration. A glory cloud. This cloud of God's special presence uh, came down, personally, powerfully carried up our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to heaven and put him at his rightful place at the right hand of the throne of God. Right? In some sense, it was like God the Father bringing down his hand, scooping up his son, and exalting him and putting him at the place that is above every name. But it was by means of a cloud. So we see it at his ascension. But I think most importantly, we see this connection between Jesus and clouds at his return, at his second coming. Jesus will come back to earth in the same way as he went to heaven, on a cloud. We're told several times that he will return on the clouds of heaven. So listen to some of these passages. I think Jesus teaches us this in the, in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, verse 30. He says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And I think Jesus confesses this when he makes this great reply to the high priest when he was being questioned if he was the Christ, if he was the Messiah. He says this in Matthew 26, verse 64. You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And I think the two angels basically tell the disciples this after Jesus is taken away and carried away by a cloud. In Acts chapter 1 it says how he was taken up by a cloud. Verse 10, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Well, how did he go into heaven? He was carried up by a cloud. He's coming back in the same exact way. He's coming, riding on the clouds of heaven. And then lastly, in the book of Revelation, the the apostle John, I think, is given a vision of this in the very first chapter. Revelation 1-7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen.
And lastly, I forgot about this one, but First uh, Thessalonians tells us that the church will be caught up in this cloud. This is used by dispensationalists to try to say that somehow true Christians will be raptured and carried away to some other place besides earth when the tribulation comes. That's not what this passage is teaching. But this is what First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 says. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So even believers in Christ at Christ's second and final coming will go and meet our Lord and our King in the clouds. You know, I don't think we're going to another place, but I think we're escorting our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to his rightful and permanent dwelling place on earth. We're meeting him in the clouds and we're coming with him back to the new heavens and the new earth. But this will first happen in the clouds. So hopefully you have seen, this is just a brief survey, and I know we've rushed through some of these things, but we can't step away from looking at these things and act as if clouds are unimportant. They're vital in God's plan of creation and how he orders and structures this world and universe, but they're also vitally important in God's plan of redemption, God's plan of salvation. Clouds don't save us, but God uses clouds in unique and special ways for his saving purposes. So now I just want to draw some applications to end our time together. Forgive me, but I'm going to have to go through a lot of these slides real fast to get to our last points. But maybe you parents have done this with your kids or kids, maybe you have done this. You, you lay down on a blanket or a beach towel or something like that and you look up at the clouds. Maybe you see different animals in the clouds or different structures in the clouds but it's important for us to look at the clouds because God points us to the clouds to teach us about himself and his word just like God points us to the ant that we can learn vital truths about the Christian life he points us to all different kinds of creation he also points us to the clouds to remind us of very important things concerning himself so what are some applications that we can make from this? Well, first, when you look at the clouds, think about what they were created to teach us about God. And first, they declare his attributes to us. Let me just go through some of these so you can see the passages yourself. But first, they teach us about his abundant goodness. Psalm 147, 7 through 8. I read it at the beginning, but let me read it again. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. It's something that we should give thanks to God for. He is the one who has covered the heavens with clouds. He's the one who abundantly... uh, 
provides for us and makes the crops to grow and feeds us and so therefore we see God's abundant goodness in the creation of clouds. We also see his vast knowledge in the creation of clouds. Proverbs three nineteen through 20. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. I mean just to stop and think about how clouds pour down rain and create dew and how all this, all this stuff works, it should make us be amazed of the vast wisdom and knowledge that God has, how wonderful he is and how he's created this world. But they also show forth his unlimited power. Psalm 68, 34, ascribe strength to God. His excellence is over Israel. His strength is in the clouds. I think especially how he brings judgment down upon his enemies from the clouds. You see that Sodom and Gomorrah. You see that when Joshua was fighting some of the Canaanite tribes or those big giant hailstones came down from the clouds and destroyed his enemies. God's strength and powers in the clouds. When you see these big giant thunderstorms, we should step back and say, wow, how powerful is God. He's infinitely more powerful than that thunderstorm. His strength is in the clouds. We also see his absolute immutability in the clouds. Job 35, 5 through 8. Look at the heavens and see, and behold the clouds, which are higher than you. If you have sinned, what do you accomplish against him? And if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give to him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness concerns a man like yourself and your righteousness a son of man. Well, this doesn't mean that God doesn't care about how we live our lives, but it's teaching us that ultimately God is not affected by anything. He is perfectly happy and blessed within himself. And so just like nothing, you know, no matter what we do here on earth, the clouds are never affected. They just go right on rolling over our heads. In an ultimate sense, that's what God is like. We can't impress him by our righteous deeds. He's absolutely immutable. Just like those clouds above our heads. They just keep rolling on no matter how righteous or wicked people are underneath it. That's how our God ultimately is. He doesn't need anything from us. He can't benefit from anything by us. He can't, nothing can be taken away from him. So we learn his absolute immutability as we look at the clouds in the sky. We also learn his utter incomprehensibility. Psalm 97 verse 2 says, Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. We can trust that God is righteous and he is just in everything that he does, but oh, how his purposes are mysterious to us. Right? It's like this dark, thick cloud is wrapped around him and we can't peer through that cloud. He is God. He will ultimately do what pleases him. And sometimes we, we look upon God and all we see are clouds and thick darkness. We can trust his heart because we know that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. He always does what is right. But ultimately, he's incomprehensible. He's God and we are just puny little creatures 
So as you cannot peer through a thick storm cloud, so you cannot peer into the essence and brightness and glory of God. But we also learn his soul supremacy. Isaiah 14. You will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. It's kind of like those who tried to build the Tower of Babel. They tried to build it to the heavens. They tried to build it above the clouds. I think what they were doing was they were trying to rebel against the Most High God. They were trying to dethrone the God of the universe. They were trying to set their throne above the throne of God, above the clouds. But God is saying, this will not happen. God is the one who rules in the clouds and nobody will take his place. He will share his glory with no one. And if anyone tries to rebel against him, even the king of Babylon, he will throw him and his kingdom down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. God is the king of the clouds. God is the king of the universe and it will always remain that way. We also learn of his awful judgment when we look at the clouds. Psalm 18, 11 through 14. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire, and he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Again, think of Sodom and Gomorrah. Think of the hailstones coming down when Joshua was fighting against those Canaanite kings. God is in control of the sky and of the clouds, and he can send forth judgment like that upon enemies of his people and, and enemies against himself. And then lastly, we learn of his enduring faithfulness. Psalm 108, verse 4. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. I mean, the clouds are so far above our heads. And just think about how great God's faithfulness is. It's like that. It's, of course, infinitely greater than that. But just like, you know, I, I know we've got airplanes and stuff where we can fly through the clouds now, and we can fly over the clouds, but just think, as you just look up at the clouds, they seem so far above our heads. But that should teach us how great God's faithfulness is to us and his faithfulness to his promises. Right? It's not just within our reach. It is, it, is, it is miles and miles and miles and miles above our heads. It reaches to the clouds. So they, they teach us a lot about God's attributes. But the last thing I just want to leave you with is they, they teach us about his salvation. The clouds. That's the most important thing here. When you look at the clouds, remember the sun. Not the S-U-N sun, but the S-O-N sun. Remember the sun when you look at the clouds. He was promised in the clouds after the flood. That's what the rainbow was all about. Yes, God will sustain the world, but he will be faithful to that promise in Genesis 3.15. He's promised in the clouds he appeared in the clouds throughout Israel's history. 
He came from the clouds and left on the clouds 2,000 years ago and he will be riding on the clouds of heaven on the last day. So he's there in the rainbow. He's there with his people, the nation of Israel throughout Old Testament history. He left on a cloud and he's coming back on a cloud on the last day. So here's the thing. Your redemption draws near from the clouds. From the clouds. Jesus will come encircled with a rainbow and riding on a glory cloud to save you. He's coming back again just like that. On that day, the lyrics to the hymn God Moves in a Mysterious Way will be literally fulfilled. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. That will literally be fulfilled. Christ is coming back on the clouds of heaven. And those clouds are big with mercy and they shall break in blessings on our heads. So in conclusion, clouds are an important part of God's creation. But we have seen how clouds also play an important role in God's plan of redemption. God uses clouds to draw near to his people, to dwell with them, to reveal his glory to them, and to save them from their enemies. Nick Batzig, who I commented, uh, I quoted earlier, says this. From the post-Diluvian revelation, and after the flood, to the parousia, which is talking about the second coming of Christ, the scripture utilizes clouds to symbolize the presence of God. The next time we are tempted to complain about it being a cloudy day, we should pause and consider how the Lord uses clouds to remind us of his imminent presence and the promise of the coming of Jesus. All right, so you know, maybe you're bummed out because you wanted to go to the beach one day and it's a cloudy day, a stormy day. Well, don't whine and complain about that. Look at the clouds. It gives you a time to consider this most important subject and consider the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so after something like this, what more can we say than amen, come, Lord Jesus, Come on the clouds, Lord Jesus. Amen. Do you want me to dismiss? Yeah, let me make a quick announcement. Yes, yeah. Um, Kelly was just telling me that there are a lot of muffins and snacks if you want to go outside for a coffee or anything left over from the Utah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for making this world and being the ruler of this world. We thank you for the clouds and we thank you for the teaching of the word of God on the clouds and we thank you that they show forth your glorious attributes. We pray that we might marvel at all these things, your wisdom, your goodness, your faithfulness, your judgment, your justice, your incomprehensibility, your immutability, all these things can be connected to the clouds. And so give us a, a newfound appreciation for these things, but ultimately help us to look at the clouds and know that our redemption draws near from the clouds. Help us to anticipate and wait upon and prepare ourselves for the glorious coming of our, Jesus, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that he's coming on the clouds of heaven. 
He's coming back, riding on those clouds to save us completely and fully and bring us to himself. So uh, help us along for that day and may you encourage us with these things to come into the corporate worship of God today uh, with thankful and grateful hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were edified by this message. For additional sermons, as well as information on giving to the ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church and on our current building project, you can visit us online at ebcfl.org. That's ebcfl.org.